Hello everybody and welcome to the Along Come Norwich YouTube channel for the birth of another Norwich City podcast. Panic not, this podcast, City Till We Die, it's called, shall be running alongside the Along Come Norwich YouTube channel. Should you make the choice to watch or listen to this podcast, it'll be myself, Ben Ambrose, hosting. Um, and yeah, that's all the admin. Welcome. I'm joined by Connor Southwell and George Wilson, two lifelong Norwich City fans. Two fans who I'm sure you guys are feeling the pain at the moment. What way to kick off a new podcast um, than to sit here and whinge for hopefully about an hour about Norwich City. As you've said, Connor, in, in, in your pieces, Norwich City are free-falling into, I don't actually know how to describe it in less than an hour, but something that we shall be talking about, a state that is slightly worrying um, as Norwich City fans. And, and from the outside footballing world, I think it's becoming really apparent the issues that lie um, within sort of the Norwich City echo um, chamber at the moment. Chaps, first and foremost, Connor, how are you? I'll come to you first, Connor. How are you? You're the reporter. You're the one doing the uh, the job of keeping everyone informed. How are you, sir? Yeah, I'm okay. I'm all right. It's, um, it, yeah, maybe that says it all. I don't, I don't quite know. It's, it's yeah, it's been, a, it's been a really interesting, in a negative sense of the word, season. Um I, I'm, I probably find myself a little bit shocked because I, I remember recording a podcast, our, our Pink and podcast in the summer, and uh, going on a bit of a monologue where I was like, I am really worried about Norwich City, and then they produced the start that they did, and I was like, oh, I've got, I've got this massively wrong, you know, and and the squad looked good and the, the recruitment looked good, and then, um, yeah, it's it's spiraled in a magnificently downward direction, um, like to an extent that I didn't even believe was was kind of possible, uh, for all the reasons that we'll get into. So, yeah, it's it's been it's been a lot to get your head around, but it's been um, it's been challenging and it's been difficult to watch, you know. Um, and you know, as as you kind of said, at the core of it, I'm somebody who wants Norwich desperately to win and desperately to do well. And uh, at the moment, they're not. And that is um, that's that's hard for all of us when, when that is the case. I think it's really, you know, times like this. And it's the same when it's the other way around, when they're doing really well. It's where you earn your money as a journalist because you've got to keep a level head and you've got to try and stay as neutral as possible, which I think you're doing an all right job of so far. I'm not going to invite your ego too much. Uh, George, my man, how are you? As a, as a staunch Norwich City fan, are you are you Okay. No, I, I would say I am okay. And the reason for that is because my weekends at the moment are not completely taken up by doom and gloom because the fact that on Sunday, on Saturday evening after the Sunderland defeat, I thought I'm actually going to go and watch an Norris City team tomorrow who are playing with a bit of freedom, um, have got a bit of belief about them and... I don't know. There feels like there's something to get behind there in the women's team who are doing so well, even though um, Sunday's game didn't go as planned and it was their first defeat. But I think that has kind of maintained my um, my level of okayness um, regarding Norris City at the minute. Uh, but as you say, on the men's side, it is an incredibly concerning time. Um, just, I can't really think of anything at the minute, bar maybe. John Rowe, who continues to um, to try and claw us back in games, and or he, he feels like someone you can um, cling to, doesn't he? Um, it, it makes it slightly worse at the minute because um, where I live is in the Ipswich supporting region, and of course, but we don't need to mention it too much. But the way they're going um, makes it slightly worse with going into work at the moment, etc. 
Um, but it, it can't get much worse for us, surely. Yeah, I, I'm sort of sat here realising that I've got it all right. You know, you've got Connor, who's got to be a level-headed journo in, in this chaos, and you've got yourself, who who lives south of the border, having to put up with the uh, the noise from around you, which I'm sure cannot be easy. But you're here with us right now, so you clearly are getting through it. Um, of which Football Cyclical will be back the other way before you know it. Now, in terms of what we're going to talk about, as I said, it's going to be a lot of sort of just misery, really. Um, and the thing I want to start with is Norwich City's recent form before we get into looking at the bigger picture for Norwich City, because in the grand scheme of things, there actually are a couple of things to maybe be a little bit excited about. I think the word excitement is 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 brave to use, perhaps relieving um, is, is what it could be. But let's talk about Norwich City's recent form. Connor, you made an interesting point there um, in terms of Norwich City started the, the season against, you know, not playing the way anyone expected. It seemed, and if you go on this channel, you see the Millwall match review where it says a team with a plan is what I called it. And you go a couple of videos later and it's time for change. That very much um, sums up the way things have been going. In, in terms of that early form, was it a fluke? Is it an indication to you that Norwich are currently underperforming? How do you view that in, in the grand scheme of things a little bit further into the season? Yeah, it's it, it it's tough. Um, it was it was what it was. I think a, a good start. I think there was there was probably an element of shock factor about the way that Norwich City were were trying to play. It was radically different to how they finished the season, and um, I think that probably caught a few teams cold. Um, I, I also think, and maybe this is revisionism to an extent, but I, but I also think you can dissect it in a slightly different way. So the whole game, I think we could probably it was a last minute winner. So you you could argue you could Norwich won the game, but you could argue on a different day that that whole city would have got a point out of that. They probably should have got beat at Southampton the way that that game transpired. And um, actually a lot of the stuff that we saw in the second half has kind of in, in a negative sense has, has, has come to the surface in, in perhaps a way that a lot that is a lot more obvious and a lot more pertinent now than, than we would have expected. I thought when they beat Millwall at home, they still had to beat them, but I thought Millwall were very poor. I thought Birmingham were very poor when they came to, to Carrow Road as well, albeit that was slightly later in the season. Um, and, and look, there were just some deserved wins in there as well. Norwich deserved to beat Millwall. You're going to have to remind me of the other games that, that were in that run. Um, they, they went away somewhere and Huddersfield. won, I think. Huddersfield, yeah, Huddersfield. I, I, um, you know, they, they were brilliant that day. Uh, against again, I don't want to say keep saying they were poor sides because you still have to beat them, but a team who is below them at this moment in time only by three points. So, uh, albeit a Neil Warnock team, which is which is notoriously difficult. So, I think I think you can if you wanted to use revisionism, you could do, but it was still a very very good start. They still had to win those games, those Carabao Cup games as well. Um, so I, I think there was an element of shock factor, but I think it was what it was. It was a, a team with kind of players and and you know it was a new look team in a sense an experienced team those experienced players probably hadn't suffered the rigors of the championship Confid uh, confidence was was high um and i just felt there was a really good energy around around the place and and whether that was kind of a little bit of momentum that had built up over pre-season which was unbeaten as well where by and large they looked it feels funny saying this now but they looked really solid over pre-season but i was kind of worried where the goals were going to come from and then they absolutely exploded in in that sense um so yeah i think it's i think it's hard to say i think it would the easy thing to say would be well they had Josh Sargent and they had Ashley Barnes and that's a factor. I, I don't think it, it's as, as night as day as where well, you put Josh Sargent and Ashley Barnes in this team and suddenly they're a, a playoff, um, maybe even automatic promotion chasing side. And when they're not, they're a team 
who are 17th in the championship. It, it, it's not as graphic as that for me. There are other factors at, at play, but it's undeniable that with Josh Sargent and Ashley Barnes in that team, they pressed a lot more. They defended from the front in a lot, uh, a lot more. They're a lot better structured. Um, and they haven't quite had that that balance to their team since. So I think it's a range of factors, but ultimately it, it is what teams go through during the season. They they won a few games, they had a good run, they had an unbeaten run, but it was just a good run ultimately. And and the bulk of the season has been the last two months, and that's been very difficult. Yeah, it's kind of weird, isn't it, reflecting on that that early period of the season because it was a blistering start and it did look as if Norwich City had you know, not completely reinvented themselves, but had definitely improved. And and in in the in the moment, I remember our discussions, Connor, sort of privately, were, were along the lines of, "Well, yeah, they are playing teams who don't look great, but you didn't really because it was a new season. You had that buzz, you had that real sort of feel good factor about those those wins and those performances. Now, eight games later from the good run, is what we'll call it." Things are looking a bit more doom and gloom, and, and it's not like it's David Wagner's first season where it's just a bit of well, we've seen the good and we've seen the ugly. You've got all of that context from when he was appointed following Dean Smith sacking, which is very relevant because, despite what you said in terms of a, a new look squad, Norwich City, for the most part, looked fairly similar to what they did last season. Um, so it's kind of difficult to, to to look at that period in isolation and, and look at that this season in isolation because you have all of that that trauma almost from the back end of, of last season. Now, let's talk about the recent form. George, one win in eight matches for Norwich, which was against Birmingham, a 2-0 win at Carroll Road. It doesn't make for for good sort of listening for, for the podcast listeners at home and, and for those watching. It's it's quite grim. It's very grim, I should say. Um, that win as well felt a bit, for me anyway, felt a bit like a Dean Smith win where you left Carroll Road a bit like, oh, is that it? In terms of Norwich's recent form and... and I don't think this is as tough as a question as, as perhaps it could have been. For you, what's the cause? And then you're absolutely within your rights to say Barnes and Sargent, but for you, what's gone wrong? Uh, I think Barnes and Sargent has quite rightly, Connor's already raised it and you see it raised all the time on socials at the moment, quite rightly a reason for the blip. I think before I move on from those two, I think, there were quite a few suggestions that Sargent was the um, much more significant player. But I actually look at Ashley Barnes and think back to those early games against the Hulls at home, the uh, Millwalls at home, when he maybe wasn't offering as much as Sargent technically. But I, I just visibly remember him arms outstretched in a second half and constantly telling his teammates to get up the pitch and win win that tackle. Just just pointing, which d- doesn't feel like a lot, but it just feels like th- that leader up front with an Eder or a Huang there, just it's just non-existent, the, the leadership figure there. So I, I think both Sargent and Barnes, pro- probably in about equal measure, but with, with different reasons, have been a big miss. I'm, I'm also pleased you referenced the Birmingham win there because thinking back, that was the... Um, that was a week after the Plymouth defeat, wasn't it? Which some have suggested was similar to Alex Neal's six-two at Newcastle. It, it doesn't matter how you how you view it. That defeat and by that margin should never ever have been allowed to happen. Um, it was absolutely embarrassing, and I 
I took real issue the following week at Birmingham with, I think Wagner made one change. And I can remember seeing Sam Seaman tweet before the game saying, it's, it's pretty strange that he hasn't, you know, changed any of the any of the defence or just not changed more than only one player in the team. And when we won the game, people were going to Sam and saying, um, oh, this looks really good now, doesn't it? But actually, you look back and now that's the only win. And I, and I just think there's the argument that those players who played at Plymouth may be the best way to um, get back was to prove that it was just a blip. But I took real issue with the fact that there wasn't a change made then. Um, the Fulham the Fulham game in the Cup obviously came in the middle and I, I didn't see the game, but Jaden Warner, there were there was praise heaped onto him. And I kind of make the comparison with 2018-19 um, when Max Aaron's impressed in one, possibly two League Cup games and Farker made the brave call of throwing him straight in. And yet we're a few, a couple of months on from that Fulham game and we still haven't seen... Warner in the league, have we? Um, I'm not saying that that's that's the reason for the poor form, but the the fact that on Saturday we still had a centre back partnership of Duffy and Gibson after the countless howlers they've made, um, it, it just doesn't sit right with me, to be honest. And you've got Danny Bath, who again I, I saw a piece on him today, who was um, Sunderland's player of the season last season. Okay, maybe. To, with his feet, maybe he's not the greatest, but he can't be any worse than what has been served up. I don't know. I, I've gone off on a tangent there, but going back to that Birmingham defeat, it's something I've been thinking about recently, so I thought I needed to go <laughs> over it. Yeah, the, the the Danny Bart one is an interesting one, uh, just in isolation, because as you said, he can't be worse than what we've got. The, the argument is, well, he's not a ball player, and the argument should be, well, well neither are Ben Gibson and, and Shane Duffy and, and Grant Handy, neither are your other options. Your one ball playing centre back is now sort of sitting on the bench. Well, I don't even know who's on the bench, but for Nottingham Forest. So it's a very odd position to be in. Connor, George has has led me beautifully on to my next point, which is about David Wagner and, and the term that's being tossed around sort of willy nilly is that he's a cover blanket at the moment. Um, Nick Mascheter said, on uh, the Scrimmage podcast that that cover blanket has gone mouldy or something, which he's absolutely bang on with. I personally think it's 50-50. I think it's 50% him being quite stubborn. George's point about that one change for a win, that is one win in eight. I think that's a fantastic point that really summarises David Wagner's faults. I also feel a bit sorry for him in the sense of it's like an ill dog who should be put out of his, um, out of his misery, but Norwich City don't seem willing, don't know who will pull the trigger. Um, it's a very odd situation, but just for some more sort of, you know, not so nice things to listen to, uh, Norwich City, and, and this one's courtesy of you, Connor, have faced 99 shots in the last five matches. They have conceded the most goals in the championship, which is 27 alongside Huddersfield. Huddersfield, a club who, when Norwich are conceding as many as Huddersfield, it's, it's really worrying. Um, interestingly, they've scored the third most in the league. Norwich City, that is, not Huddersfield. Only Ipswich and Leicester have scored more with 29 compared to Norwich's 25. What is it for you, Connor, in, in terms of where are you on this scale of, of perhaps feeling a bit sorry for David Wagner, but also there is that element of he's he's making his bed, so he's got a lie in it. 
Yeah, I, I think that that is where I find myself increasingly because, and I've heard this debate a lot, and you always hear it around, you hear two things around managerial changes, really. It's um, whether, whether a change would actually change anything at all. And, and so that probably leads on to a conversation about the squad, which I think is a, is a valid one to have. But also the, uh, oh, well, who would you get? Which isn't really, you know, just because there's no obvious candidate out there. There's always a candidate out there, by the way. But just because there's no obvious candidate, that's not enough for a reason to, to change things. Look, I, th- I think I think what he inherited was a really difficult job. I wrote about it at the time, not knowing at the time that it was going to be David Wagner, but saying whoever inherited this Norwich City job was inheriting a, a hugely difficult one because of the relationship with the fans and the team, the, the levels of expectation. Um which you know, again, you can you can have your own debate about, but but also probably because of the the, the squad and where the squad was at last season and where it is where it is now. Um, I think it's it's slightly different now because you referenced the, the statistics, the defensive numbers that we're seeing. They're about the way that you can kind of gauge it is the underlying numbers suggest they're about the seventh best attacking team on all of the relevant statistics in the division, um, but they're the worst defensive team in the division right now um, and, and across the first 14 games which you know basically renders how good you are as an attacking force completely irrelevant because if your defence is worse than your attack and you're conceding more goals than you score well that doesn't leave you in a great place over the course of 46 games but what it does also suggest if you want a positive is that if Norwich City could find a formula to correct that defensive side of it it probably wouldn't take a lot for this to move away from and, and become quite stable quite quickly Um I think it, it, it's difficult in the sense that, uh, and, and you spoke about change there. Last Saturday at Sunderland, he did try and change. They they ditched kind of this provocation of the press that we've seen. They um, they went they went into a bit of a lazy four five one shape. They tried to protect and contain, and to be honest, weren't good enough to do it. Didn't look well coached at it. Um, weren't effective at doing it. And so he, he kind of taken a massive pivot away from the style that he's been trying to build. And I always think and Daniel Farker's a good example a couple of years ago, when you start to chase short-term results, you're kind of done, really. It's You can't really go anywhere, particularly if, if when you do try and get a short-term result, it doesn't work. It kind of happened at Coventry as well, uh, albeit Norwich were, were pretty close to winning that game, having been battered, really, for, for 90 minutes. So there, there is, I think, those two elements to it. And, and I've said this before, I think you can argue that it's a very difficult job and that he's had injuries and there's lots of change above him and that all makes it a very, very difficult job. But you can also say within that that this group of players and this team should not be underperforming to the level and extent that it is at this moment in time. And it is underperforming. Um, so ultimately, when when you weigh those up, it comes back to the head coach. And um, that is why David Wagner, I think, finds himself under under immense pressure. I do have sympathy with him because, and maybe this is a point we'll get onto, but I don't think the the balance of the squad is right in terms of he's not got a lot of options to, to change it. You mentioned the defensive issues, and I know a lot of the conversation is around the, the centre-backs, and rightly so. The the centre-backs expose the system, the system ex- exposes the, the centre-backs, I think, um, which is never a good place to be. But equally, he doesn't have a natural defensive midfielder that he can put in there to shore things up in the same way that he doesn't have a natural number 10 that he can, he can put in to change the system. Um, and partly that's because that's the way they recruited and they recruited that way because he wanted them to recruit that way. But partly it, it makes them really difficult, I think, to, to change and alter what they're doing because when he played the way that they did, they got absolutely murdered in defensive transitions time and time again. And on Saturday, when he tried to shore it up, they still got battered and conceded three goals. So for me, it's a bit like, where do you go after that? Because you've you've kind of tried both extremes. Neither's worked. Is there a happy medium? Possibly. I don't know where that is or how you achieve it. 
Um, and I just think we've got to this stage now where he's probably, you know, lost lost himself a little bit and lost his way a little bit. And I think it's interesting because I remember speaking to, I think off the top of my head, it was Dan O'Hagan when he was talking about Schalke and he spelled it Schalke. And he had a long game without a win there. It might have been one in 18 or something ridiculous mm. like that. Maybe even more, maybe slightly less. Um, <clears throat> and, and he said in the middle of that, it was almost like he was—he couldn't find a formula. He couldn't find a way to change the, the way the tide was flowing. And that kind of feels like where they're at at the moment. You've got this constant pressure and, and, and real flaws, which are coaching flaws ultimately, um, that he cannot address, either tactically or even because of his personnel. And when, when you get into that position, it, it becomes very difficult. So um, it's a really long-winded answer, but I, I think he's in a really difficult spot right now. And... Um, as a general rule of thumb, if my experience of watching football is very rare for someone to emerge from this long term, sometimes they can they can get a couple of results and muddle through for a bit. But I, I just think now, so they've got Blackburn and Cardiff. He needs to win them both, really, because if Norwich drop points in any of them, it, it won't be enough to to kind of stem the the noise that is coming. Um, so yeah, he's he's in a really difficult spot, and I, and I think just just my final point would be. I think from a Norwich perspective, there's a real fear about looking knee-jerk, um, which is admirable in many ways. But also, I would argue that knee-jerk would have been if they'd have sacked him after 6-2 at Plymouth. I, I think we're probably past the stage of, of something being knee-jerk at this point. As, to be fair, I think it was when, you know, uh, moving into the, the World Cup break last year with Dean Smith. I think we've, we've, we're probably beyond that now. And... Um, something has got to change. And I guess, if you know, he's, he's tried changing the system. He's tried changing the approach. He's tried changing the personnel, apart from the, in, in centre-back positions, as we mentioned. And uh, the results are the, cha- are the, are the, are the same. So um, when that's the case, there's there's really only one thing left to try, and that's, that's the head coach. For me, I think I'm happy to move on in terms of, from David Wagner, but also in terms of looking forward and, and, and what Norwich can do about this situation. The conclusion, I think, is an obvious one. Is it's he's got to he's got to leave. He's got to go ASAP. Will he? I don't think he will. But everything that you guys have said so far really points towards you've got a manager who is tactically stubborn. And and the interesting thing for me, and and this is where I think it needs to really be considered that David Wagner will have not signed off on transfers, but he will have been notified. It's not like he's just had players thrown at him. Um, and he's sort of going, oh, what the hell am I supposed to do with these players? I think he very much will have had input. This idea of experience, you know, he's really picked it up since the season. Well, I mean, even in preseason. Um, so, it's, you know, my my feeling of, you know, not pity, but basically pity for him in terms of, well, you know, he's doing the best of a bad, dealing with the best of a bad bunch. He, you know, he would have agreed to sign those players. And if he didn't want those players, I'm sure he wouldn't be at the football club. Um, that's kind of how it works in football. Um, you see managers leave for less. Um, but like the way Norwich City should go now and, and the way they are going is new sporting director, fresh ideas. I don't think we're in dire need of a complete cultural reset. I think things need, and I don't know whether I'm alone in this, I think things need tweaking, but a lot of things need tweaking as opposed to when Stuart Webber arrived on the scene and literally ripped everything to shreds and started again. I don't think that's necessarily what we need. I think Norwich City just need to be better at what they have been good at in the past, and, and that requires new faces, new ideas. Direction, isn't it? It's direction, I think. I think, I th- I think that's, that's increasingly where I find myself, because uh, I, and I've seen it a lot of times. It's like, well, 
uh, are, are they in a in a radically different situation to they were in 2017? The answer to that really is yes. The, the structures uh, and not even I know people just go, oh, well, the training ground's better, but actually there's a lot of working practices and a lot of um, different departments, and they've they've stepped up in different areas that has made the football operations better as well. So um, really, it, for me, it's just, as I wrote in the week. Really, it's it's just it's just a realignment. They need to to kind of find themselves again. They've they've lurched for me between. Uh, you know, when well, you know when Daniel Farker was sacked, it wasn't just him that went. It was it was all of the ideas and everything that he kind of personified and carried. Um, and then they lurched in a different direction, and then they lurched again in a different direction. There need there needs to be a clear plan and and and, and kind of a tunnel vision as to what they want to be, where they want to go, and 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 how they get there. And then you appoint people and recruit people to execute that 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 feels to me where where we're at at the moment it's it's probably a footballing reset maybe rather than a, a complete overhaul as, as as you said George I'm keen to ask you about Ben Napper because we're going to move on and, and we're going to look forward and and try and find the positives however I know for a fact asking this question might breed um some more passionate ranting but you know alas Ben Napper was announced as joining Norwich City on what was the 6th of October, scheduled to start, and correct me if I'm wrong, on the 27th of November, alongside however long a period it is, um, of Stuart Webber's guidance, whatever, however you want to look at that, I, I, I just don't know. But for you, and, and the reason I'm keen to ask you this first, George, is like me, just as a fan who, you know, I speak for myself only, but I'm not particularly well informed on, on Ben Napper. I've had to really rely on the media out there, local, but also um, national in terms of from an Arsenal perspective. What are your gut feelings about Arsenal's loan manager coming in and, and taking over from a role that Stuart Webber established as basically, you know, the owner of Norwich City? What, what, what do you see the dynamic being? Does it excite you? Is there an element of, of relief that it's finally time for change? Uh, well, first of all, on the loan manager thing, that there's been a lot of, well, maybe not a lot of talk, but I know some have referred back to the Marquinhos signing last year, um, which obviously didn't go to plan, but I, I, I don't think that can, uh, that can come into the equation when we think about this. In terms of whether I'm excited, I think I am excited. I was quite pleased... Well, not pleased so much, but quite refreshed by the fact that when it was announced, I I hadn't heard of this person because it kind of it brought similarities to when Weber came in initially, and he came in and re- made a a real mark. Because I think if you've got no um, no previous, well, or very little previous knowledge on someone, then they have a really good um, opportunity to make a good first impression and I think the fact that he's he's had a few roles at Arsenal isn't he he's had the the low manager but then when Wenger was there he kind of um was a bit closer to the first team operations as well um so he's probably been there for such a period of time that he has had um a lot of exposure to so many different elements of how that football club is run and okay, Arsenal have probably only got their ship in order in the last three, maybe four seasons. But if he's overseen that and 
overseen how they have made those improvements at you know what is an elite level club, then you would like to think that coming down the division um, and taking on I've never been to Colney, but taking on the the brilliant facilities that Weber always refers to and um, those foundations, like you say, things don't need to be ripped apart. So you would like to think, even though the situation at the minute is, or it feels like a mess because of the results and the downward trajectory, you would like to think someone with a bit of freshness, which it feels like he has, um, would be able to get it up off the ground and, yeah, bring something new and something exciting. For you, Connor, the weather guidance situation, and, and I think what I want to get from this podcast and what I want to get from this question is just one and make it as long as you like, but like well-constructed answer, defining, in your opinion, what the weather guidance is. Because there's there's been a few things said, and I'll be honest with you, I've blown hot and cold on it. One minute, I'm like, okay, yeah, maybe it's not so bad that he's going to show him where he can get his lunch and that kind of thing. And and this is, you know, introducing him to Neil Adams. This is Neil. This is what he does, that kind of thing. But then I'm also a bit like mm, the man who, in my opinion, has failed for the past couple of years at his job is going to be influencing the man who is to take over from his job. And, and this idea that, you know, George has, has, has backed up this idea that Norwich City needs some freshness, perhaps needs some naivety. You know, that naivety, that that swagger that Stuart Weber had when he came into that club, that bravery. I remember him literally saying, I don't know if it was his first interview, but it was really early on. He literally said, I've come into a club where people feel like they're overliving. That kind of bravery to, to say things like that. It's like, do, do I want the man who's gone so far away from that to be influencing the man I want to do that? What what is your perception, and and can you please just leave me at the very least feeling like I understand what it means for Stuart Weber to be peering over Ben Napper's shoulder? Yeah, I'll do I'll do my best. I th- I think this has been overstated slightly. Um, I I, I think the increasingly uh, and I, I maybe maybe this is because of the way things are at the moment, and the fact there's a lot of spotlight on this. But I would no longer expect Stuart Weber to to be over Ben Napper for very long I, I would probably say a matter of days if if anything i think it, the the reality is going to be that he he will introduce him to to key members of staff there'll obviously be a a, a tour or two or three of, of colney within that and um i don't know maybe get him on the work emails or whatever and, and set up all his accounts but uh and, and then from there I, I think he he will leave him he will leave him to it i, I don't think there's going to be this they're going to share an office and uh stuart weber's going to be you know watching over his shoulder and going oh you can't do that i like him or Oh, not, not sure that's the best decision. I, I don't think that's going to happen. I think what we will see pretty swiftly is Ben Napper come in on, on the 25th, uh, 27th of November, sorry, and uh, Stuart Webber um, transition away pretty quickly. Um, and it wouldn't surprise me if that was pretty imminently after after Ben Napper arrived. Um, and, then, and then I think there's probably an element of, here's my number, need anything, call me, which I think is the way, way it should be. I, I think maybe the, a, a bit more clarity on that point could have could have been useful at some, at some stage, um, but that that is the situation as I understand it. Whether that would have been the same if results were, were going a little bit better than they are now, I don't know, because I think the ideal plan was certainly for the first month to, to have Stuart Weber in and around the, the setup. Um, but I, I think increasingly 
that's not that's not viable and that's that's not tenable so um that's 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 the situation as as i understand it so i think i think it will be a little bit different than than maybe what has been spoken about and what has been what has been framed um so yeah i, I if that makes sense i think i think from from day 1 i would expect ben napper to to be in charge really i i don't think there's going to be kind of this this hand holding that that perhaps many of people have have spoken about um yeah so that that's kind of how i see it my next question for you connor is in terms of of my concerns i think and i don't know whether it's my brain being a norwich norfolk boy and and looking for you know the not so bright side of life my head is telling me concerns wise is it possible that ben napper is in the position on the basis of don't rock the boat too much because obviously you know, as i've said before weather came in and he rocked the boat completely and and for the first couple of years it was for the better as a football club it was for the for the greater good things changed but my brain is, is telling me ben napper is here on the terms of this is what you have to play with do the best you can as opposed to get in here and, and sort us out if you know what i mean First and foremost, is that a fair concern, and is that something perhaps you can put at ease for for myself or for other Norwich City fans? Uh, I I think I, I I yeah I get I get the thrust of what you're of what you're saying. I th- I think what I would say to counter that is actually the the Norwich Sporting Director position is pretty unique in English football in that uh, a Norwich City Sporting Director can hire a manager, can fire a manager. Uh, pretty much has autonomy to to do whatever they like on on the footballing side of the business without too much interruption or or, or interaction even from from people higher up or sideways or below or whatever. So um, I, I think there will be an element of uh, he will probably want to take stock, and so I think this idea that he's going to come in and and change load of things or change a load of things, sorry, in a really short period of time. I might be completely wrong, but that's not the sense that I get. And that's not usually how this role works because a sporting director is there to plan longer term. Whether that whether that means he comes in and makes a head coach change, I think is completely different. But in terms of like radically altering the, the power structures and the way that Norwich City operate and um, their existence, I, I think is... Um, I think you're you're probably right to an extent, but but equally, I think you could argue that that doesn't necessarily need to happen in the same way. So I think what you could argue is, and I think this has probably become apparent over the last two years, what Stuart Webber was really really good at was disrupting, was changing, was this kind of change management and and grabbing a football club and 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 changing direction, pivoting it. What he wasn't necessarily so good at was sustainment. He wasn't good at um, when there was stability and when he got the changes that he'd implemented. He wasn't then good at building and progressing. So you could argue that what Norwich need now is someone to build, someone to sustain, someone who's a bit more stable in, in that regard um, on, on all fronts. I, th- I think they're radically different characters as well. Stuart Webber isn't massive on, on data. I think if, if if you've ever spoken to him, he would freely admit that. He doesn't really understand it. It's not really the world that he's from. Um he employed people, John Iger, who's who's very, very talented at that sort of thing, and, and, and a range of data scientists to focus on that. Ben Napper is massively data orientated, understands it, knows how to break down, it knows how to to utilize it for information, knows how to take it contextually. Um, so I, I would see it, those two people as coming from completely different backgrounds. And therefore, I would expect Norwich City to make probably more decisions based on 
data and be that recruitment, be it um, fitness, be it managers and assessing them. So that, that this is kind of where I see the change of direction. Fundamentally, I think you have now got, um, thanks to Stuart Webber, I think the academy is in a pretty good place. You, you could argue whether the talent is there, but I think the structure of it and the actual idea of progressing players up an academy structure is there. You could then argue, you know, whether their recruitment has meant that that's got blocked, but that that does exist now in a, in a way that it didn't when Stuart Webber arrived. Um, they recruit in a slightly different way, but ultimately they're still going to be the same in terms of the budgets are going to be the same. He's in, again, he's inheriting a, a real mess uh, in, in terms of a, a squad because it's, uh, I think there's 11, I think, players who, who are going to be over 30 by mid-November. Um that's 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 a really difficult situation to inherit and then you've got nine players who are i think between 28 and 23 which is kind of what we call the peak years so um there is some real rebalancing that needs to be done and and, and big decisions that need to be made so i think i think we will see ch- more change on the footballing side than the structural side because it's easy i think to say um norwich are losing games and everything's broken and i think actually there's there's a lot of stuff structurally and the way that they operate that isn't broken fundamentally the decisions they've made despite good intentions i think have have, have been wrong and they've hurt them and uh, maybe we'll reflect on this summer's recruitment probably too early to tell yet but increasingly it feels like it as being a step in the wrong direction really um and so he's got a bit of sorting out to do but do i see fundamental sweeping change where 20 staff members get the sack and Norwich completely change what they are as a football club and how they operate. I don't really see that. Could be completely and utterly wrong. I don't get that sense. I I see tweaks and changes that help Norwich build and I see that primarily through through data and I think he's been he's been brought in to to lead kind of the the data age of the football club which is where they where they feel the gains are just a final point as well I think I think that he is going to be really big on psychology as well um from what I've um, from what I gather he he is someone that views he kind of views that as being the next big driver of, of of football the the psychological elements of it so i'd expect to see norwich do do some quite interesting stuff in in that area as well so i think it will be adding and building rather than than destroying changing and disrupting the word reset is is the word that we're hearing a lot isn't it and and your definition of, of what's to come makes that word not particularly relevant and, and we've established haven't we i think we all agree it, it's tweaks and as you say it's not a massive it's not an actual reset at all really it's um it's just doing things better and, and differently so when i hear the word reset quite a lot i'm kind of always just thinking nah not quite and there is one thing that i think is fairly universal amongst norwich fans as something that is to come that is to happen which is one of the similarities between the Norwich City now and the Norwich City in, what was it, like March 2017, which is they need a new manager. You know, forget the, I mean, it'll become relevant when we have this little exercise of, of not who, but what is your ideal manager? What are their, their traits and their qualities and then their style of football? I think one thing that is is for sure is that Norwich City need a new head coach. Um, sorry, I keep saying manager. For you, George... What what's the definition of, of of a head coach that Norwich City should be looking for? Be as be as vague, be as specific as you like. Because, mm-hmm. and I I want to say this just to maybe um, I don't know whether it will influence your answer or not. But Norwich City, for me, in my opinion, have the two blueprints for the way you win a championship title. You've got Farker in 
2018-2019 scoring more than you can see the four threes the three twos that the 95th minute winners compared to his second championship win which was more on the lines of and of, of defensive stability the big thing for me was was not necessary i mean it was obviously systematic and you can sit and you can pick out the differences but like for example the second championship win you had only skip doing a lot of the dirty work in the first season you had two really creative midfielders we well, had many really creative midfielders and the most offensive was was tom tribal and i think that says well that speaks volumes in terms of the quality of of defending in that midfield so you've got those two blueprints for how to win a championship title. Which for you are you picking and, and what are you looking for from a head coach? And let's not get into whether it will happen or when it will happen because I'm viewing it as a certainty. What what are you looking for in, in terms of on the pitch, but also off the pitch? Because, you know, for Norwich fans, especially with that, you know, the contrasting experiences of, of Daniel Farker and, and Dean Smith and then David Wagner, that is just as important as on the pitch. What are you picking out as, as the traits and the and the desires that you have for, for whoever will be Norwich City's new head coach? Well, I think it's interesting how you um, mentioned Daniel Farker's team as in the we'll score one more than you, that kind of approach. Because I would agree with that. I'd also always think of Paul Lambert's 2010-11 team as... That, that was kind of what, what you associated them with. You know, there were a couple of wins at Carrow Road. What was it? Holt against um, Reading. And then there was Lansbury against Millwall. I think they, they were w- within a few weeks. I mean, I, I'm going to the back of my brain with those because I appreciate they're a long time ago. But um, I think, yeah, that kind of... I, I think attack, attacking is the key, isn't it? But equally, I think the... The thing I think about at the moment um, when you think of all these defensive numbers, like you said, the the comparisons with Huddersfield Town and um, their record this season and just the fact that it's been so poor in comparison to the league, I do kind of wonder whether um, for the rest of this season, whether they, they need to make sure they prioritise that and... Um, Make sure we're, we're just we're just not shipping goals, um, but equally that isn't um, isn't sustainable because Norwich fans want to be entertained and they want to be on the front foot. So I, I'm kind of torn between that at the minute. I, I think when when I spoke to you privately the other day, I, I, I um, mentioned the name Gary Rowett to you, which I kind of think back and think what the hell was I thinking because I think if you if you if you said that to Millwall fans who um got completely turned over at Carrow Road earlier, earlier in August that they would say he's not going to give you um what you want but um I don't know but part part of me thinks we we have never really had a manager unless you're going back to Chris Hewton who um prioritises the defence. But I'm not saying that is what we want. I just kind of think with this team and with how open we are, you just need someone who's maybe a little bit more conservative. But that's kind of the the opposite of what you said, isn't it? Yeah, I'll be honest with you. I thought the Gary Rowan thing was a joke. I thought you were taking the mick when you um, when you said that. But I, 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 I see it. I completely disagree, but I don't think we'll get into that discussion. Um, the, the interesting thing for me and, and the way I think Norwich City should, should build themselves before 
I know Connor gives us a good 15 minutes on, on what he thinks. <laughs> Norwich should go for that 20-21 season in terms of you have that body, you have that Oliver Skip. And look, I know I'm sort of living in dreamland in the sense of let's think of the context with that squad. It had that prior experience of the championship title win. It had that prior experience of the hurt from the Premier League. It had the coach who had been in post for, I think, what was it, his fourth, Daniel Farkas' fourth season at Norwich. You have all that context as to why Norwich played like that. But I don't think that's a, you know, I don't think that's a reason that Norwich City can't then take that blueprint, as I say, and, and play that way because Norwich City's way back then is, is well, it yielded for me results similar to literally, but also aesthetically, it, it yielded results similar to that first championship win. I was sat there at home as opposed to at the ground thinking, my God, we're good. We're playing some really attractive football. We're playing some football that finds a slightly different way to what Daniel Farker did in his first title win, finds ways to just penetrate defences relentlessly. And, you know, you look at that, um, that win against Huddersfield. For me, again, it was a very weak Huddersfield team. But that was the culmination of, of everything. It felt like everything that Daniel Farker had had worked for, you know, the, those three prior years of just learning the hard way, but also reaping some rewards. That performance was, for me, how I want Norwich City to, to model this next chapter under Ben Napper. I'm, I'm aware that the first hire that Ben Napper makes, might not, he might not be the answer because you know, one thing is for sure, Stuart Webber came in, he got the managerial appointment absolutely spot on immediately. That might not happen. And I have a feeling, Connor, this is going to be what you're going to say as well in terms of this idea that you need someone with, at the very least, a philosophy. I really don't think David Wagner has that properly. Um, but not just that, the, the the adaptability. And I'm sure you guys are familiar with back in the, the Daniel Farker era, this idea of a plan A and a plan B. I never really believed in the plan B, but plan A could be tweaked and done better and more efficiently. Norwich City did that and, and you know, that's going to be an important trait for an incoming head coach. But for you, Connor, uh, and also if you now say Gary Rowett, I think I might have to leave the room. <laughs> but for you, the ideal head coach, the ideal person to come in and, and spearhead this, what will hopefully be new, I'm going to say new way Norwich City as opposed to new look because if they come in next week, if they come in in February, the squad is going to be the same. Who is the ideal sort of candidate? Yeah, I'll, I'll give you profile rather than name because I, yeah. I think I think it, it, it's definitely not Gary Rowett, by the, by the way, yeah. um, which is which is one of the more out there ones. Sorry, um, George. <laughs> I, uh, I they tried that with Dean Smith and it went badly, so I, I think straight away from that. I, th I think um, so. When it's interesting because when you're in a situation like this and there's a manager on the brink or a manager that's just lost lost their job, um, if you had like an experienced one, uh, you you then try and lurch, I think, and say, oh well must get a really young and up and coming one and if you have a young and up and coming one that fails it's we've got to go and get someone with experience so i think there's there's a bit of this at play but I, increasingly i look at the trends you look at the successful managers in in, in the championship at the moment uh enzo maresca uh michael carrick kieran mckenna um uh, there's someone else who i was going to mention that uh, that's completely lost did i say michael carrick i did say michael carrick even last season, uh, you could you could put Vincent Company in there. I, th I think they're they're young coaches who have a have a clear way of playing. So that that's that's primarily it. So I, I think football, uh, it's, the old football is simple kind of thing. But but it is to an extent. I think what where clubs go wrong is 
Uh, and this is partly where Norwich have gone wrong. But if, if, if you're Ben Napper, you come in and you say, right, this is how we're going to play. I'm going to appoint a head coach who plays in that way. And then we're going to recruit players to play that style of play. It's what got Norwich success under Daniel Farker. They, they went, we're going to play like this. We're going to appoint a head coach to do it. And then we're going to recruit in a way that, that enables them to do it. Um, and then when things were a little bit difficult, they went, oh, no, none of this works. And I don't think that's quite the case. I think it could have been that uh, maybe Daniel Farker didn't work. And then the idea was that you plug someone else into that overall structure and the thing, the machine keeps going, even if the head coach doesn't. And it's the idea of this head coach coming pretty dispensable. So I, 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 I think where I am at now is that Norwich City need a young coach, head coach, maybe someone who's who's not done the job before. Um, for me, that may depend on what the situation is when they come in because, and it is quite feasible, Norwich could be still in and around the, the bottom three. That, that's that's a real realistic thing on the trends and on the way that they're performing. I don't think they will be, but that's, that's a, a distinct possibility. If they are in that, I think it becomes very difficult or more difficult to go in that direction. I think you have to have someone with a bit more of a CV behind them. Um, but I think you could you could find traits of that. But if, if Norwich City are about where they are now and they're re- looking relatively comfortable in comparison to to the bottom three, then I think there's an argument for getting a, a really young coach. I, I said I wasn't going to throw names in. I'll throw names in. Someone like um, Eric, not these people specifically, but Eric Ramsey at Manchester United, someone who's, who's really hard, highly regarded and up and coming. Uh, Justin Cochrane, who's at uh, Brentford. I don't know if that's how you say his last name. I think it is. Uh, who's at Brentford at the moment, was at Manchester United. Someone like that. I think if, if you look at the trend of what's working, uh, Maresca was was with uh, Guardiola, Carrick and, and McKenna were, were at Manchester United. Um, there are examples of young coaches doing well. I think you could go in the opposite direction and 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 look at someone like Liam Manning, who's doing a brilliant job at Oxford, uh, John Massino at Portsmouth. But I, I think it needs to be a young progressive coach recruited to an identity. It doesn't really matter what that identity is. If you want to play 4-4-2 and you want to play two big men and you want to play like Tony Pulis, that's fine. But then recruit a head coach and recruit to do it. I think this is this is where Norwich City have got a bit lost. So uh, if it was me personally, I'd be looking for a, a young a young type who maybe hasn't done the job before. But I recognise that that might not be a popular view or maybe even a viable view given Norwich City's current situation because you're doing that with a lot of risk. Yeah, I think it's it's certainly a view and it's one that I think I lean towards just, you know, because I like the idea of growing with a manager as opposed to, you know, when Daniel Farker came in, by no means necessary was he young, young, but he was fresh and he was naive with his ideas and compared to when Dean Smith came in with the expectation and the context of, of everything he'd achieved and the idea that he had something to live up to, whereas Daniel Farker didn't, I always like to lean towards the underdog and, and this idea of being the underdog and Norwich City going forward. George, for you, what do Norwich City have to do in terms of controlling? And and now this is where I think is an appropriate time to use the word resetting, resetting that narrative. What do you think Norwich City should do? Because for me, quickly, I think Norwich need to go for the, you know, the, the putting the hands up and saying, look, things haven't been going well. You don't have to undercut all the work that's been done that's led us to this point. But I really think it should be a case of, look, we're aiming to be top 26 or whatever again. We're, we're looking to to build again. You don't even have to say top 26. You just have to, you know, essentially dangle a, a carrot in front of the Norwich City fans' faces because at the moment we're being told we should be up here when we're down here. And not only are we down here, 
but we deserve to be down here, which is um, is the worrying thing. And, and just really quickly, Connor, you mentioned um, the the idea that Norwich, by the time a new head coach comes in, Norwich could still be in that position. And the one thing that's really shaken me to my core for the first time since I think I was sort of nine or ten years old watching Norwich City play under Glen Roder was, my God, this kind of naivety and expectation that I have that Norwich City shouldn't get relegated could end up getting them relegated if people in much higher positions than I also possess that naivety. Um, but for you, George, that narrative, what is the ideal play? And and give me it from the perspective of, of you know, someone from within the club setting it, but also what you would want to hear as a fan. Well, I think if it was to be a... Uh if it was to be a young coach along the lines of some of the names Connor there was just suggesting it. Another one which is obviously coming up in discussions because of the Arsenal link is um, Jack Wilshere, which I think is a um, quite intriguing one. Um, but e- e- equally, I think if it was to be somebody like that, then they would probably, I think they would temper expectations for this season I think that Wagner at the start of the year was um he was going on the on the line that we want to be promoted and I think um th- this season and I think um Zoe Weber was going with the same line in a, cu- a couple of the interviews that she did I-, I think depending on the um league position that we're in um if when a new manager comes in I think for this season specifically, the, the line um, will probably be, I think we'll probably hear the word rebuild, to be honest, but whether they try and use the word um, promotion is um, a different thing. Uh, but ultimately, given that um, for the last 15 or so years, we've spent, I, I can't think of the number off the top of my head, but must be um, five, six, possibly even seven seasons in the top flight, ultimately the overall expectation across the fan base is going to be that um, we get back there in not too long. So I think they will know that whoever it is coming in um, will need to get there eventually. The the top 26 um, suggestion, which, um, like you say, Weber has always aimed for, I, I don't think that's something they should go with again or, or, or that they will go with again because um that then suggests that w- when you're when you're in that division that you're um that you're satisfied with coming 20th but uh, on the other hand I, I understand that having seen a couple of um disastrous attempts at staying in there that is why they use that phrase isn't it so yeah that's how i see it i think i think for me i, I want a project to believe in and in what is now Norwich City in, well, even prior. We're a concept of an embryo stage is what we are um, because Ben Knapp has not even started his job. What I want is just a project to believe in and I'm not going to sit here and spend ages defining that. We'll do that in a couple of weeks um, when Ben Knapper starts his position. Connor, the last question, can Norwich City still be successful this year and, and define for me what success would be in your book? Staying up? No, I'm joking. I'm joking. Um, I, I think uh, uh, it probably depends, again, what you classify success as. I think... Do that for me, though. Do that for me from your perspective. I, I don't know. 
I don't, okay. I don't know is, is, is the honest answer because um, I, th- I think in many ways, I think the start has gone against them because it, it kind of, particularly now, because it proved that they could play well and that they this was a team that was capable when it had everyone fit that it could it could challenge. Um, teams don't have everyone fit for 46 games. It's just no, no team in the championship will have that available to them. So then it becomes about the coaches and, and, and the depth of squads, I guess. And maybe that's that's the point. I think for, for Norwich, uh, I, I feel success at this stage would be an improvement on last season when they finished 13th. I think if they could finish higher than that, I think if they could get in the top 10, that would be brilliant. Um, I'm not looking at it at the moment and, and feeling that there's anything really that, that he's saying that this side can, can get higher than... Well, can certainly getting in and around the playoffs but that you know as I said earlier it can it can turn quickly if they can sort the defensive numbers out then I think they would push up the table pretty quickly um it's just what sparks that and, and how they get there so uh look there's there's enough of the season we've seen teams in in fairness before do it I remember Middles were doing it a couple of years ago um I guess Coventry are the best example from last year teams have really slow and poor starts and end up in good positions so you can't just let this season kind of rot and die, I don't think, because there's the way they've recruited, the way they've done it, which, again, I don't think has helped expectation levels as much as the good start, because if you sign Ashley Barnes and Shane Duffy and players over 30, you're saying, well, we're going to win and we're going to win now. There's no sense of, of project or building to that. So that hasn't helped them probably with the narrative to an extent, I, w- I would argue. Um, so success for me would be an improvement on league position last season. Um but I, I, I personally, I find that quite difficult to define as success, to, to be completely honest, um, for a team that at this moment in time has parachute payments. I don't know, they don't have access to them, but they, they should be doing a lot better than they are. So, uh, yeah, that's kind of where I am on it. I don't know. I'm a bit confused, Ben. Yeah, I think that really, and thanks for that, because that really sums up the state of Norwich City at the moment. I think in a month's time, We'll feel a little bit clearer because Ben Knapp will be in post and we won't have to sit here and just completely theorize about what he's going to do. Chaps, I want to say a big thank you for, for joining me and for making me feel, I think, a little bit more excited about the fact that there is change around the corner. There is perhaps a brighter future for Norwich City. What I'll do is is urge people listening, watching, whatever, to go over to the Pinkin where you'll see Connor's fantastic work covering the men's first team and also George's work covering Norwich City women it's all content that I love to watch you know following Norwich City women at the moment is is joyous compared to the men they're having a really strong start to the season playing some really good football um I think I've been to a couple of games where I've seen a 2-2 draw a 1-1 draw when I've not been there it's been 5-1 4-0 um so I'm I'm don't come again I am a curse (laughs) That, that has been the messaging they've said stay away because we want to win games chaps as I said a big, big thank you to those who have listened and watched whatever you've done. Thumbs up, rate the podcast, however you want. If you want to subscribe, that would be much appreciated. If you want to give that thumbs up, it would also be appreciated. Content to come, I don't know, just a whole lot of whining about Norwich City. But until then, we'll see you all again very, very soon. <laughs>